1: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, we're broadcasting live tonight from the nation's capital. I am in town for CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee conference. Excuse me. (laughs) And uh, it's it's a great first day. I had a a, a wonderful time uh, presenting tonight. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. I want to talk about some of the headlines tonight because we're going to get into some really good stuff tonight. We're going to talk about COVID. We're going to talk about all the new news around COVID. And we're going to also get into uh, just, you know, the news of the day. And one of the headlines I want to read to you right now is 59 House Democrats uh, have broken ranks and joined Republicans in voting to rein in Biden's inflationary executive orders. And this is interesting because, you know, you don't usually see Democrats— straying from their own. But uh, dozens of House Democrats joined with Republicans on Wednesday in a vote to require the White House to assess the inflationary effect of President Biden's executive orders before they're issued. The bill is the latest effort by Republicans to pump the brakes on the Biden administration's policies that say they're causing the highest inflation levels that anybody's seen in decades. But the bill was also uh, supported by 59 Democrats and easily passed in a 272 to 148 vote. Uh, and this is um, courtesy of our good friends at the Bongino Report. So big shout out to Bongino and uh, to Matt as well. Now, uh, it goes on under the bill. Any executive order that has an annual budgetary effect of a billion dollars or more would have to be first studied by the administration. Uh To see what type of possible inflationary effects that it has on the economy, which Republicans say would make Biden think twice about imposing costly new rules to the public. Listen, I think this is fantastic. The problem with this is that we should have had it when Biden came into office, because now, I mean, what are we at six, uh, six trillion dollars in spending since Biden's come into office No bueno, my friends. Anyway, the bill passed over uh, objections from Democrats who rejected the GOP arguments that Washington policies, either in the form of edicts from the Biden administration or massive waves of new federal spending by Congress have all contributed to inflation. I I agree with that 100%. And I'll I'll tweet this out so that you guys could see it and read it uh, at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, I also want to talk about, uh, you know, we talked about this yesterday a little bit, uh, but I want to really dig in to what's going on with the, the, um, this news from the FBI, right? And the FBI director, Christopher Ray saying that while we've known for quite some time that there's been a lab leak and the information leads us to believe that this, in fact, is correct. That, that, that's been out there. However, there's a lot more, right? So we're going to get with a couple of doctors tonight and get their perspectives on that. But before we do, I want to talk about the rest of the stuff happening on Capitol Hill, because I think it was a big day, a big news day in terms of um, the committees, right? So one of the f- audio that I uh, flagged, and forgive me, I'm just scrolling here because I'm saving paper. We're going green. There was a, a clip of audio, and I believe it was from Senator Ted Cruz, who decided to um, give a piece of his mind to Merrick Garland at a hearing today. And basically, he's saying what we we've said and you've heard on this program. They used extraordinarily excessive force to arrest a pro-life, uh, pro, excuse me, pro-life dad, claiming he was a terrorist because. He was protesting and he was with his kid outside of an abortion center. And and he won that case. He didn't get in trouble for it. But they still used a SWAT team, raided his house, tackled him to the ground, all of that. So I want you to listen to this exchange uh, with. Ted Cruz speaking to Attorney General Merrick Garland.
3: We've also seen across the country violent attacks his pregnancy centers by similar left-wing terrorist groups including one one graffiti of a of a firebomb building said jane was here there have been attacks all over the country and yet the department of justice has not brought these violent criminals to justice you contrast that you're a violent criminal and you attack a crisis pregnancy center, that is not a priority in the Biden Department of Justice. Contrast that to Mark Houck, who's a pro-life activist, he's a sidewalk counselor, and he had an altercation with someone who allegedly interfered with his son's personal space and threatened his his son, and he pushed him. Now, in an ordinary world, pushing someone would be maybe a simple misdemeanor assault, but not under the Biden Department of Justice. If you're a pro-life activist, what can you expect? Well, in this instance, according to Mr. Houck's wife, two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and a battering ram showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. Why do you send two dozen agents in body armor to arrest a sidewalk counselor who happens to be pro-life, but you don't devote resources to count pe- to, to prosecute people who are violently firebombing. Crisis it is
4: a priority of the department to prosecute and investigate and find the people who are doing those firebombings. They are doing it at night and in secret, so, and we have, found two, we have found one group which we did prosecute. You we found gonna,
3: one. How many have there been? How many attacks? There have been, there? been
4: a lot, and if you have any information specifically as to who those people are, Let we would ask be you glad, what, did, we did, would did be you glad to have Did you personally
3: authorize 20 agents going to Mr. Hout's house, and he offered to turn himself in through counsel, but you didn't want that. The Department of Justice wanted to make a show of it. Did you personally authorize it? And do you want to apologize to Mr. Mrs. Houck and her seven children for being terrorized? The
4: decisions about how to do that are made at the level of the uh, FBI agents on scene. Did and you know the, about it? I did not know about it until uh, the way you're describing it. And my understanding is the FBI disagrees with that description.
1: <laughs> okay. So, you know, this guy, uh, again maybe it's just me. If you're out there, wherever you are in this country and you listen to Merrick Garland and your initial thought is, well, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Come on. This guy was, you know, once considered for the Supreme court, this guy's, he's not as bad as you say, I guess we're at odds. I think this guy is there's, there's clowns. And then there's Merrick Garland, his level of condescension, Ted Cruz's You know, foaming at the mouth over here, right? Trying to stand up for somebody, for family values, for just for people in general. And what do we have here? Merrick Carlin. Well, no, we tend to disagree. What's there to disagree about? Whether a SWAT team went in there or not? I mean, they did. For, for Merrick Garland to be as disingenuous as he's being, to me, is unconscionable, but that's where we are today. And I got more clips of uh, different exchanges that we have, but I want to get into the other stuff as well, because there's just not enough time in the day. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk to Professor Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford University. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This
2: is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich
1: Valdez. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to dig into what's going on in Congress. I mean, there's a lot going on, whether it's the Democrats siding with the Republicans on that um, safeguard against inflation, which is fantastic. Or just you know the Department of Energy releasing a report and the FBI echoing saying yeah sure yeah you know what it sounds like that's actually uh, exactly right hearing after hearing testimony after testimony more and more is coming out about the COVID nineteen pandemic and and these are things that need to be paid attention to now on this program we've had uh, various experts on COVID nineteen and and uh, and healthcare overall but. You know, some of these people were once chided as, oh, well, that's their opinion. They're in the fringe. They're in the minority. They're not, you know, they might be experts, but, you know, everybody's got an expert nowadays, right? They try to downplay these things. But there's an article today in um, Real Clear Politics that talks about Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, and we've had him on the program before. He's a professor of health research policy at Stanford University, and um, he's, he's been spot on on this stuff throughout so uh, we've invited him back, and he graciously accepted our invitation. So, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, welcome to the program, sir.
5: Thank you for having me, Rich. Oh, you been be back.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I know late-night radio is not easy for everybody, but there's millions of people that want to hear about this stuff, and they're busy at work during the daytime, and some of them are busy at work now. So it's uh, always a, an interesting topic of conversation when we can talk about what's really happening. And you've been spot on with this stuff, but what, I guess— um, my first question is what's your reaction when you find out that the government is now saying, yeah, you know what? A lot of these people were right. This likely was a lab leak and, uh, you know, not even an apology, just, yeah, we think that that's the case.
5: (laughs) I mean, uh, the, I, on on the one hand, it's, it's of course, finally nice that, that there are people in, in the government and public health recognizing reality. Uh, it's just come way too, way too late um, and, and what I mean by that is that it's it's there's been so much damage done. Uh, for instance, closing schools has set our children back years in terms of their learning, and it'll have consequences that'll last the rest of their lives. They'll lead shorter, poorer, less healthy lives as a consequence of decisions we made. Um, so we, I mean, so we have to what we have to do is we have to start like addressing the harms that have been caused because of those mistakes. Um, I mean, there needs to be a constructive agenda, I think, now at this point. Um, and, and the leaders that led us down that path to the lockdowns and all the, the the things that really failed to protect us from COVID, I, I mean, I think there's a, been a, a tremendous loss of public trust in those leaders. Um, I mean, we're going to need those leaders to at least acknowledge that, the, that they were, that they made mistakes so that, that some of that trust can get back and we can do more constructive things again, or or they can step aside and let the new leaders come in. Um, The other thing I think that's really important is that uh, the blueprint for how we respond to this pandemic, uh, unprecedented in modern history, uh, is now set. The next time there's a pandemic, there will be lockdowns. The next time there's a pandemic, there'll be pressure for school closures. The next time there's a pandemic, you know, respiratory virus pandemic, there'll be pressure for all of the civil liberties violations again. Um, And uh, unless those errors are acknowledged and then addressed with changes in the law, changes in reforms in our scientific institutions that failed, including the CDC, the NIH, and the FDA. Uh, all of this will happen again. It will be a sort of, sort of Damocles hanging, hanging over our heads mm. into perpetuity.
1: You know, Doc, and let me just remind everybody, we're on with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health research policy at Stanford University, who's been right on this since the beginning. And I, I, I listen to what you're saying, and I'm... I'm between shocked and angered that after knowing what we know and what we've heard and, and, you know, individuals like you that are out there, you know, preaching the truth, that you're still saying there's a precedent that we're still going to do the same things we did that set our children back so far back. And, and this is a real thing. And this is not even a medical thing. Uh, it, this is just a fact. I talk to other parents. I have kids. I got a kid in college and a kid in high school. And I talk to other parents and they tell me, oh, you know, so-and-so's test scores came back. You know, they didn't do as good. And and I'm like, hello, nobody's doing as good. You know, th- these kids miss so much time. I remember my kid didn't even get COVID-19. And she was out of school for nearly 30 days because she had to do two 15 or two 14-day uh, quarantines back-to-back because someone in her class had uh, tested positive and she didn't. And there was no test to go back to class type Nine. of thing. So she went to school for one day, another person had it and boom, she was out for another 14 days. So in that 29-day period, she stood home, you know, ineffectively learning on a, on a small Chromebook. And, you know, I couldn't complain to anybody because it was the height of the pandemic and, oh, we're saving, but, you know, uh, 15 days to, to, to flatten the curve, stay home, save a life, all this craziness. And I'm thinking, my kid's got to go to college. You know, selfish as I might be, I want her to be the best she can be. And that's me. And then I talk to other parents and they're like, oh, so-and-so's test scores came back and they're not good. And I'm thinking, if that's the people around me and if that's my kid, this is happening everywhere. And you're right in what you're saying. This is going to affect children for a very long time into their adulthood. You know, I'm sure looking back, there's going to be a name like the COVID kids or something like that, where we're going to say, oh, yeah, no, those are the COVID kids. (laughs) They got screwed with the lockdown. And it's just, you know, we can make a joke of it, but it's it's really scary, (laughs) Doc.
5: Rich it's not selfish at all. It's, it's generational theft from our kids, and and you know, you know it's not equally distributed. I'm sure you you did the best you could with your with your kids, and I did the best way I could with mine. We faced very similar problems, but for for poor kids, minority kids, mm-hmm. uh, it was even worse, much much worse. Uh, we created this sort of generational inequality. We, I mean, we were already an unequal society before, but now it's like we exacerbated it. Uh, you know, pu- pumped it to eleven, if you will. I mean, and it is it is. Um, I have no idea how how we come back from that. Um, what I do know is that we have to try. We have to try. We have to f- figure out how to address some of the, the defects and deficiencies, and most of all, we have to make sure that this never happens again. That the public health authorities that uh, that made these decisions on the basis of just a bad reading of science, scientific evidence um, don't have the power to do it again with a significant checks and balances. You know, Sweden didn't close the schools right. down at all. And why? Because they were actually tracking what the scientific evidence was saying in March and April twenty twenty. That's why they didn't close schools. It wasn't just luck. they were they were tracking what. Why did our public health officials not read the science appropriately the way that the Swedish public health officials did? Um I mean, we have to have answers to these questions because uh, we the American people deserve to have a better public health establishment that actually makes good decisions on the basis of scientific evidence. don't that that doesn't follow dogma. And doesn't work to suppress uh, you know, people who who are arguing against them, uh, but rather welcomes the debate. We just have a we have a public health establishment so obviously broken now, and I um, I think we have a once in a generation now chance now to fix it if we can muster the courage to do it.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're on with Professor Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health research policy at Stanford University. Now, if you haven't figured it out by now, I am not a professor of health research policy. I just talk about this stuff. But this guy's an actual expert. Now, Doc, I, I want to, and we just to give you a heads up, we have about a minute before we hit our first pause, and then we'll come back and, and regroup. But you said, unless we fix it, what are some of the steps that you recommend we take in order to fix it?
5: I mean, I think probably the central sin is that we had this monolithic, you know, I am the science voice mm. speaking. Um, we need to reform our institutions so that that sort of thing never happens. We have competition between ideas. We don't have censorship of, of alternate ideas. We, don't, we, we allow outside experts to, to weigh in. Um, we just need checks and balances at the heart of public health.
1: That's a big deal. Because th- there's other stuff that's going on where, you know, um, you've got senators that are putting out resolutions saying that we, we have to make sure any type of treaty that that involves the World Health Organization and future pandemics and the way that we're going to handle those things that go through the Senate if it's going to be handled as a treaty. And you've got the Biden administration saying, hey, look, we're happy to sign on with what the World Health Organization says. And from what you're telling me, it sounds like we're just going to continue to follow the lead of the WHO. And that's not going to help us because we did that already and it didn't get us anywhere. So we'll, we'll touch on that when we come back. We're on with Doc, Dr. J. Bhattacharya, professor at Stanford. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. You want to ask a question? Give us a call. 8334. That's the number for Valdez. V A L D E S. 8334. Valdez is the phone number. We're coming right back.
2: 833 482 valdez That's
1: Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and I'm here with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's a professor of health research policy at Stanford University. And, Doc, before we took the break, we, um, we talked a little bit about this you know, your, your recommendations to make things better should uh, not should, I'm sure we will eventually be hit with another pandemic at some point. And presuming it doesn't leak from a lab anytime soon, but we have health issues and we need to know how to deal with them when they occur. And there's, there's this talk about the world health organizations, um, the, what they call the W H O C a plus, this plan where they get control and different countries sign on to this memoranda where they, Kind of waive their rights to, uh, to to handle their own situation and allow the WHO to kind of call the shots. And this, on its face, to me, seems problematic. What's your thought on that?
5: I mean, I think the WHO failed during this pandemic. Uh, I mean, yeah. they, the uh, the the, the key thing. I mean, lots of, lots and lots of ways, but probably the most important way they failed is that they uh, their policy pushed these these Very destructive lockdown policies that that destroyed the economies of a lot of poor countries. Um, the, these these regulations, in part, are designed to make sure that like you know something like Sweden doesn't ever happen again. That that the WHO will have more say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be like a central point of contact. There won't be another Florida. There'll be like one national policy for the whole U.S. Um, it's also designed to make sure that the that the, the poor countries comply more with the WHO uh, uh, sort of edicts. It, it generally just moves power outside of national governments toward to the WHO on the, on the premise that what you need to address a worldwide pandemic is essentially like a, a central power, central decision maker. Um, I, I think the problem is that it's it's just a mistake. Like what happens is you have the central decision maker. What if they don't read the science correctly, which is what happened during the pandemic for the WHO. They, they, they misread the efficacy of masking. They misread the, the harm done by lockdowns to poor people in poor countries. They misread the, how, how the disease spreads. They misread herd, basic definitions of scientific ideas like herd immunity. Uh, I mean, so what you have is like this single point of failure that when it, when it goes bad, it's a catastrophic damage to the whole world. Uh, it's much better to have a more a diverse set of voices, and this this um, this this treaty will will basically undermine that.
1: You know, you, you say it so nicely, and and it makes a lot of sense. But I just uh, tend to think th- this just on its face, outside of the um, the failures of the WHO, I, I don't know if it's just misreading. And Maybe I'm you know I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, and by no means do do you need to agree with me, but. I look at this and I think, just making deductions here, if there are doctors and, you know, maybe they're like snowflakes, right? No two are the same. Everybody has a different take. But there was a huge amount of of doctors that read the science wrong. Like, how does that happen?
5: I mean, part of it is just groupthink, right? So, and, you know, actually, the funny thing is, I don't think it was that many people that made these decisions it was squeaky wheel small. getting the oil well i mean I, 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 what you had is like power concentrated in the hands of very few people you know you had tony tony fauci had a tremendous outside influence uh, at, as the head of the niaid i mean because he was there for 40 years um you know people like uh in the, the head of the who uh, tedros the the uh, the head of the welcome trust which is kind of a a major uh, uh, scientific organization in the, in the UK, led by this man named Jeremy Farrar, uh, uh, Bill Gates, who had a tremendous outside influence on the WHO because of how, you know, he funds, I think, 30% of the WHO budget. Um, so you, you just have a, a small number of scientists, bureaucrats. And the thing is, they have power over the minds of a lot of scientists because they fund those scientists. If you speak up against them, and you spoke up against them during the pandemic, you threatened your career. A lot of scientists would write to me saying, thank you for speaking. Uh, please keep going. I can't speak because my, my job will get threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wrote a document called the Great Barrington Declaration during the yep. pandemic in October, where we called for a focused protection approach to, the, to you know, protecting older people while lifting lockdowns. Tens of thousands of doctors signed on. Many of them lost their jobs for signing on. Um, they were demonized, censored, marginalized in, way, in, in many ways, but the head of the NIH wrote an email that, and organized a propaganda campaign calling me a fringe epidemiologist, even though I'm a professor at Stanford University for 20 years. The, the goal was to silence doctors, either by self-censorship or direct reputational attack by science funders, in especially, including especially the American government, the, American, the National Institute of Health. Um, and I, I think that's why you saw a lot of scientists, even though they read the evidence correctly, stay quiet because they didn't want to risk their own reputation
1: and careers. Now, this is key, right, because you're saying that the, um, the, these people said you were fringe. The reason you were fringe was because you were potentially saying something that would affect their gravy train, And then the gravy train got upset because you were you were messing up the flow of things for for whatever reason. And that's really kind of where I was going with this was saying, you know, I don't know if they're just misreading the science or if they were there was political pressure. Because, again, being in radio, we get callers from all over the place, plenty of physicians. And I won't say which one because I honestly don't remember it. But one of the boards that certifies X type of physicians uh, gave me a call, not the board, but one of the members. And he said, hey, look, I'm, I'm a physician in practice. I can't give you my name. I can't do anything. But, you know, I can anonymously email you a letter I got that he said, I see this as a threat. And it said that if I go on TV or if I even uh, make any public declarations, uh, uh, you know, that go against anything that the CDC has, um, you know, said as a, a guideline, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at risk of losing my board certification and or, you know, having a, you know, a, a ding against, you know, towards losing that certification. And, and, and he was shocked, and I was shocked. And I was like, wow, bro, you're a doctor. <laughs> you know, like a <laughs> Hippocratic Oath, you're not a politician, you're not even a radio host. You know, I catch heat, I'm a radio host, I talk a lot of crap, but this guy was a doctor. And I just thought, I mean, come on, this is, this is a very bad situation when you can't do your business, which happens to be the business of healing people and the Hippocratic Oath, and and you've got some bureaucracy all of a sudden breathing down your neck.
5: I mean, I I don't know. I guess I guess I don't attribute it to. I mean, obviously, money does play some role, and, and I'm not saying that it does doesn't play a role. Um, but I think the key the key sin is hubris. But right? you have mm-hmm. like take, take take Tony Fauci, right? So you you, you remember he, he like very famously when challenged at one point, he said, "Look, if you if you challenge me, you're not simply challenging a man or questioning a man. You're questioning science itself."
1: Right. He was the science. Uh,
5: yeah, it was a sign. I mean, like the thing is, is that is that is a man with tremendous hubris, pride at the at, at like thinking that he knows the the right answer so much so that anyone that challenges him is is dangerous, d- peddling misinformation, harming the public. Um, with that kind of hubris, you you end up with a situation where like where uh, if someone challenges him, you know, all of a sudden. His authority is undermined, at least in the way that he thinks. and you know, and the policy they were pushing was so extraordinary that, like, the kind of lockdowns that we did violated civil liberties, closed off schools, uh, allowed people to allowed governments to essentially deploy propaganda to to induce panic in broad populations. Uh, people lost jobs over vaccine mandates that made no sense from a scientific point of view. Uh, these were absolutely extraordinary policies, and you can't have those policies unless there truly is a scientific consensus behind them. And, well, okay, now doctors are calling up saying, oh, no, I don't agree with Tony Fauci on the science. Well, I mean, there's no scientific consensus. They deployed the techniques they deployed in order to create the illusion that there was a consensus that did not exist so that they could they could implement the policies that they wanted. And I think the reason why they were so sure about it because they had this this overweening hubris that just you know it it served everybody poorly.
1: Yeah, well, you know um, uh, that's that's a fair point, and and I will uh, concede that point and say that that hubris in my world translates to power, raw political power. People are just um, you know fawning over themselves and their egos. And there's probably some money at play, too. But I said that, not you. I don't want to put any words in your mouth. All right, Doc, stick with us because there's a couple of people that want to uh, ask you a few questions. And we're going to take a quick pause and come back. And I want to get uh, your final thoughts as well on, you know, your your recommendations and on your testimony before the uh, committee in Congress. So don't go anywhere, everybody. Keep it locked right here. We're on with Professor Jay Bhattacharya. He is a uh, professor of health research policy at Stanford University. We're coming right back.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
3: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have—I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much.
2: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we're getting into the thick of it here on COVID-19, on censorship and all that stuff with our good friend, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, excuse me, professor of health research policy at Stanford University. And we have a couple of people here, let's see, hold on a second here. We've got calls from all over the place, Michigan, New York, Ohio. And uh, let's go with uh, Kim, Kim on KDKA, Kim go right ahead. Hi Rich and Dr.
6: Bhattacharya. i want to give you two examples i had a relative that got the first two covid shots and she had to go back on full-time oxygen and after the second shot and when she went to her pulmonologist she said, is this unusual? You know, because she was only on it sporadically. She had a cold or something like that. And he, the doc, the specialist uh, waved his hand across the visiting room. He said, you see all these people here? They got the two shots. And, and this was in the spring right after they started giving them to the elderly people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the next time she went back, he wouldn't talk about it. And I said, you know what? They got to him. You can't talk. And uh, she agreed with me because she said he was very forthcoming. The other thing is, in our state uh, – they were going against the barbers that they opened, the doctors, the specialists, the nurses. Now the embalmers are refusing to get the shot. Oh, the list just
1: goes them. on and on, Kim. I mean, the, the, the censorship was all over the place. And, and I understand, you know, during the height of it, there were a lot of things where there might be communicable disease. But uh, with respect to the first part and with um, the, the vaccines and the vaccine injuries and stuff, Dr. Bhattacharya, what's your uh, thought on that?
5: I mean, I think if you want trust in vaccines, you have to treat people who have the legitimate vaccine injuries respectfully. You, you can't gaslight them into thinking that, not, that they didn't get them. And doctors shouldn't be pressured to, to say that there weren't injuries when there were. Now, I, I, I advocate for the use of these vaccines in older people because I think that it reduced the risk of death if you get COVID. Uh, and so that's why I argue for it. And I think it, actually that was a good use for it. Uh, but, it but it doesn't come without tradeoffs. So what 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 we should have done is informed consent. We should have told people here are the risks. Um, do you want it? Do you, you, you know, we recommend you take it if you're older. Especially younger, it's much less much less important. Um, instead, we we rolled it out by force. And we created this propaganda campaign to, to essentially tell tell people it's entirely without any risk whatsoever, which was, which just wasn't true. Um, I mean, again, I, I'm in favor of taking it for for older people. I was the when my mom took it, She's in, in, in 2021, um, and I, I personally also took it. But I don't I don't think that the, the what what's the ultimate the ultimate uh, uh, endpoint is that now so many people look at vaccine rhetoric and say, oh gosh, was they they lied to us, and a lot of people have lost trust in vaccines as a result of it. I think it is just, it's just a, a tragic mistake on the part of public health.
1: Right. That's what happens when you get a guy like Fauci that becomes and embodies and personifies the science. Nobody likes him. <laughs> so now nobody likes the science. Uh, uh, Kim, thank you for your call. Doc, uh, in, in the remaining time we have, I guess, final thought on on what you uh, testified about and and, you know, your your best advice to all the Americans listening on moving forward. What what do you recommend they do and how do they prepare? Should you know we be faced with uh, another lockdown?
5: Well, so it, for as far as like what, what needs to happen next, we need an honest COVID commission, kind of like, you know, after the Challenger disaster when the space shuttle exploded, mm. we have, remember, the way the bipartisan, scientifically-minded e- evaluation. I've written, uh, with along with seven of my colleagues, uh, epidemiologists immunologists and others, um, something called the Norfolk Group Blueprint. Norfolk Group, you can see it at norfolkgroup.org, mm-hmm. uh, with 80 pages of questions that, basically public health and lawmakers need to answer about what went wrong during the pandemic and why. Um, I, I, so I, if there's anyone that is interested to go look at, those, at that Norfolk group, it's free, free to download and, and take a look. Uh, it, it's, it's Norfolkgroup.org. Uh, I, I think that's that's what I'm recommending next. We have to have an honest COVID commission, uh, not staffed just by the people who made the decisions, but in fact staffed by an independent set of scientists who uh have an open mind to answer the questions that we that we posed in this Norfolk group document.
1: Outstanding. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health research policy at Stanford University. If you want to learn more, go visit norfolkgroup.org or follow him on t- on Twitter at Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's not banned anymore, so you can actually see his stuff. <laughs> Check him out again at norfolkgroup.com and on Twitter at Dr. Jay oh, Bhattacharya. Did you want to add something, doc?
5: Oh, yeah, it's just Norfolkgroup.org. Yeah, thanks.
1: You got it. Yeah, excuse me if I messed that up. Norfolkgroup.org. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I know we've taken a lot of your time. I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon and give us another update and keep doing what you're doing, fighting for truth. And uh, if anybody's going to be the science, I'm going to make you the science, not Dr. Fauci.
5: No one should be the science. Thank you, Rich. (laughs) It was really great to talk with you.
1: Likewise. Thanks, Doc. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion on the science And health and so much more straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. I'm Rich Valdez. This
2: is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're going to your calls. Let's go to Brazil. We've got somebody listening on WNIR in Akron, Ohio, but he's in Brazil. Michael, bem-vindo. <laughs> yes,
7: <laughs> I speak very little Portuguese, but um, some questions to the good doctor. On these,
1: uh, Michael, I'm going to put you on hold because the call is a little bit staticky. Let's see if we can get your line straightened out. And let's go to Liz in Slingerlands, New York, WGDJ in Albany. Liz, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
6: Oh, thank you so much, Rich. Thank you. This is so important. Rich, why... I, I, are you familiar with Event 201? Yes. October. Two, okay. Now, how how do you explain... This big international meeting in New York City about a pandemic.
1: Yeah, so, you know, you've got these guys. And, you know, Dr. Bhattacharya mentioned something uh, about the, the players, right? He talked about Fauci. He talked about Bill Gates. And, and Bill Gates, I, we played a clip. I don't know if we have it. A, cl- a clip from Bill Gates from, like, 10 or 12 days ago. Um, and I misspelled his last name as G-A-E-T-Z. <laughs> and it's from when he was younger, and he was doing a TED Talk. And he said, we're going to control... The world population. We can control and reduce the world population through healthcare and vaccines, <laughs> and, and, and of course that you know uh, it, it makes your antennas go up when you hear that we're going to control the world population with vaccines. Now I'm sure he can you know talk himself out of a, out of a paper bag if he needed to, but it's clear to me that there are different schools of thought. And there are people, I'm guessing, like you and me, that think we should probably not uh, use vaccines to, to reduce the population by 15%, right? We should use vaccines to prevent disease. So that being said, there are people that have different ideas about different things. And the more money they have sometimes, the more grandiose these ideas become. And they they get this God complex where they feel like, you know, we can change the world if we did this, 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 and that. So I think when you get together with these folks and they say, look, we, we have no doubt that there's going to be a, a pandemic eventually because shoot, we're doing all this gain of function research all over the world on different diseases because we know it's gonna happen. We know it's coming because these guys are like doomsday people. So I think this is why they have these exercises. Maybe there's somebody somewhere that's very nefarious that's saying, you know what? We're going to unleash this thing and do bad things. I'm sure that's a possibility as well. We just don't have all of those puzzle pieces yet. But I think you're on to something, Liz. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We've got uh, a conversation about artificial sweeteners. Don't go anywhere. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of your social media. Get at me there, or give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833, the number four, and my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S. And welcome to the program, hour number two. If you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, we're having a discussion on lots of things tonight. There's a number of headlines that are grabbing my attention, Um Uh, Senator Hawley put the Attorney General Merrick Garland on blast today uh, over a number of issues, not the least of which was uh, the arrest of a prominent Catholic activist. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more at the top of the hour. Uh, There's another story here that I want to look at. It's in The Hill, and it says zero-calorie sweetener— popular in keto diets is linked to strokes and heart attacks. Now this scares the crap out of me, because as you guys know, I wasn't always this handsome, this slim, this svelte, this slender, right? I'm OG original gordito. And I was 270 pounds, 269 to be exact, and went on this keto diet and got down to 199 pounds. And uh, I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread, but then my cholesterol went up. (laughs) So now I'm battling cholesterol, but I'm a little bit slimmer. And I read this and I think, oh my gosh, how could I have done it without, you know, sucralose and all these other things that help you to tolerate things. And I said, man, we need to get with one of our experts on this stuff and that we have, right? So we're going to talk with Dr. Fami Farah. She's a board certified invasive cardiologist based out of Texas, and she's our guest. Doctor, welcome.
8: Thank you for having me.
1: You're welcome. So... I want to get to this really for my own um, point of personal privilege and my own fear. Uh, How much danger am I in that I have a Splenda with my coffee every day? You
8: know, according to this study, it's it's not a good idea to do that. We've known it in the medical community for quite some time that these artificial sweeteners were not the best for our health, but now we actually have a nice study that's showing that, uh, it significantly increases your risk of cardiovascular disease, especially stroke and uh, heart attack. So I would probably advise against that.
1: Now, specifically with the cardiovascular stuff, because, um, I, I mean, I, I remember hearing years ago that, uh, aspartame, uh, or the, um, the other one, I forget what it's called, saccharin, uh, th- there were lots of negative reviews on that, but that this this new one, the one in the yellow packet was supposed to be magical, and then the one in the green packet, now I'm reading this and it says everything's just as bad, and, and that this can have an effect on your blood vessels. Tell us about that.
8: It can, yes. Uh, the main thing it does is there's something called platelet. It's one of the blood components, and it's responsible for clotting, blood clotting. And what this, uh, the, the component of the artificial sooner we're talking about here is erythritol, and that increases that clotting of platelets. And so your blood becomes thicker and it's just more, uh, uh, it's more prone to becoming clotted and that can go to the brain and cause a stroke and also increases your risk of having a heart attack.
1: So with, with respect to the artificial sweeteners, is this every artificial sweetener that contains this, um, I forget what it's called here. Um, this, whatever tall, um, or is it just some of them? Yeah. Um,
8: majority of them do. And you brought up an interesting point, like some of the earlier ones, uh, like saccharin and stuff. We knew that those were pretty bad as well. Uh, It's a pretty complicated process. Uh, it, it actually impacts your weight gain as well. Like you mentioned with keto diet, a lot of people are losing weight. That's true. Uh, most people with keto diet, they are successful at losing weight, but it doesn't to your metabolism. It changes things to where your cholesterol goes up. And so specifically the bad cholesterol, LDL is what we're talking about. And so it really does a number of damage to the cardiovascular system, uh, starting from increasing your clotting factor, to um, the cascade of inflammation, it actually increases inflammation in the vascular system as well. So over time, it actually degrades the the integrity of your blood vessels uh, in a number of different ways.
1: And obviously, uh, when you have um, bad blood vessels, this leads to a number of things because that's like the, the, I guess, the end result of diabetes, right, is um, bad blood vessels, cardiovascular disease, people go blind, they lose their limbs. Uh, What else can happen?
8: That's correct. Um, diabetes is a very good example. Uh, you know, one of the things is uh, interesting is that majority of the people, the, the people who most commonly use these artificial sweeteners, are actually our diabetic patients because they are trying to avoid sugar. And if you if you looked at the study, the interesting thing is that those are the people who are actually at highest risk of. Uh, sustaining damage and uh, the complications related to erythritol, that's an artificial sweetener, their risk of having heart attack in general is higher than the regular population. But when it comes specifically to using the artificial sweeteners, their risk is slightly higher than the general public.
1: So what is it that you, you know, uh, as, um, as a cardiologist recommend uh, to your patients or to people that are listening, um to sweeten whatever it is that they want to sweeten should they go back to regular sugar should they stick with what got them into the problem which for many people's uh high fructose corn syrup right that was killing everybody and they said stop using it what what's the the next um, the next sweetener that's healthy
8: to be honest with you i i do think that uh, going back to the original like the healthiest sugar which is Original sugar is the way to go, and moderation is key, you know, for our diabetic patients. It, there's really no easy way out there for for them, unfortunately. Like, they, I, I'm not advising that they take sugar because, obviously, that's not right. a good idea, but taking this artificial sweeteners is uh, not going to replace the problem. It's only going to add to it.
1: Yeah, it seems uh, it makes it worse with respect to cardiovascular disease and uh, the weakening of blood vessels. So, so... Regular sugar or no sugar, I guess, live a sugar-free lifestyle without the fake stuff. And people who, you know, uh, like me, right after this, I'm like, okay, that's it. No more, uh, no more Splenda for me. No more, you know, sucralose, none of that stuff. Uh, but what if somebody's been doing this for a really long time and they may have had some, some sort of uh, vascular damage? Uh, what do you recommend? What, what do they do?
8: Anyone who has risk factors, especially those who have diabetes, I would recommend that they get a checkup, uh, a cardiovascular checkup with a cardiologist. Uh, Just some regular routine screening would give us uh, a very good idea as to what their present cardiovascular health is. So that would be advisable.
1: Is there like a specific test they ask for or they just show up and say, hey, I want to make sure my cardiovascular system works? (laughs)
8: Yes. Uh, when it comes specifically to cardiovascular health, there are certain uh, really basic tests that we can use, uh, such as an EKG. Just a basic EKG can give us a very good idea uh, in terms of like if there's any kind of early disease process that we can detect there's also an echocardiogram that's an ultrasound of the heart with that we can check the overall heart function and of course a stress test as well for those who have risk factors or symptoms like chest pain shortness of breath a lot of times people won't have chest pain they might just get fatigue, are just not able to carry on with their daily activities like they used to those are all signs that there could be something going on in your
7: heart
1: all right Well, that sounds fair to me. I want to pick your brain on a couple of other things because there's uh, another headline that stuck out to me here. Pregnancy and childbirth, shockingly dangerous experience, killing a woman every two minutes. I want to get your opinion on that and more. So stick with us, Doc. Folks, we're on with Dr. Fami Farah. She's with Bentley Health, BentleyHealth.com. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Fami J. Farah at Fami J. Farah, and we're coming right back.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Your calls and more straight ahead, 833 4Valdez, 833 482 5337. Our guest is Dr. Fami Farah. She's a uh, certified invasive cardiologist out of Texas, and she's, with, she's the founder of Global Health Alliance Foundation. And one of the things that um, is on her radar and is on mine now after I read this headline is that pregnancy or childbirth is a shockingly dangerous experience that kills a woman every two minutes. And she's going to explain why. Doc, what's going on here?
8: Yes, it's a very, very sad um, topic to discuss, uh, Rick. It's um, in the United States. The leading cause of death for pregnant women is actually cardiovascular
1: disease, believe it or not. Is this linked Um, to sweeteners?
8: It <laughs> it could be. I guess there needs to be a study on that. But overall, uh, it seems to be hypertension. High blood pressure is wow. probably the, one of the key factors here. Uh, but, you know, 50 uh, percent, actually less than 50 percent of women entering pregnancy have good heart health. And the statistics are showing it now because we're losing, as you mentioned, uh, so many women every minute. And one-third of maternal deaths um, is due to cardiovascular disease here in the United States.
1: That's crazy. So um, this is one of those things that, um, I I mean, I had no idea. What's the solution to something like this? Is this because this is um, high blood pressure that's related to the pregnancy or women that already have high blood pressure and then become pregnant?
8: It's a little bit of both. Uh, There are women who have uh, high blood pressure before they get pregnant, and they're, of course, at much higher risk of going into something called preeclampsia or eclampsia, and that can uh, complicate pregnancy by a lot, and their mortality rate increases significantly. And even those who do not have any preexisting high blood pressure or any cardiovascular issues, even they can run into cardiovascular problems during pregnancy. And that's why pregnancy is called nature's stress test. There's a very specific thing I do want to raise awareness about, and it has become an issue here in the United States. Uh, It's increasing in incidence. The condition is called peripartum cardiomyopathy. It is a very unique condition to women who are pregnant. It's a type of heart failure that happens uh, during third trimester of pregnancy, and it can even occur after pregnancy up to six months postpartum. So, um, you know, heart failure is a very serious condition, of course. And if that's not detected on time and not treated on time, the prognosis can be very poor. It could actually lead to uh, death in many women. I have a personal link to this. I actually lost uh, one of my cousins to this condition at the age of
1: 29, uh, one week
8: after giving birth. So it's a a very, very uh, scary condition. Prognosis can be very good if it is treated on time. So it, it really comes down to awareness, being able to catch it on time.
1: Is this very prevalent, what you're describing?
8: It used to be rare in the United States. It was more prevalent in the uh, Southeast Asia, some some of the South American and African countries, but it has become a lot more prevalent here in the United States.
1: Wow. And just uh, interesting note here. Um, I'm looking at the the piece in Fortune that uh, it, it says complications from unsafe abortions and underlying medical conditions uh, can be aggravated by pregnancy. Like HIV, AIDS, and malaria are the top causes of maternal death, according to this report. Is it isolated to that, or is this leading into the the uh, these other issues that you're talking about, or is this just across the board?
8: So. If you look at it, uh, the data from worldwide, um, the worldwide, the conditions you just mentioned, those are the leading cause of maternal death uh, Mm -hmm. around the world, usually complications related to, um, you know, abortions or infections. Infection is a major cause, but specifically in the United States, it is cardiovascular disease.
1: Wow. So it seems like uh, uniquely, whether it's pregnancy or what we talked about in the last segment, uh, cardiovascular disease is like very prevalent in the United States.
8: It is Um, pregnancy or even outside of pregnancy. It is the leading cause of death overall for men and women. Uh, And now we're seeing even young folks, you know, usually people who are in their pregnancy age are considered to be in their youth, their young, younger age when you don't really think of people getting heart disease, but now we're seeing otherwise. And I will mention another study that came out recently, actually, it's a post COVID study that showed that, um, the risk you know the rate of heart attack is actually increased by a lot. Uh, 25 to 30 percent higher uh, incidence of heart attack in uh, the age group between 25 to 44 year old. This is an age group that was largely uh, ignored in the past. Uh, in the sense that they're considered low-risk, so they weren't really considered high-risk at all. But now the COVID has changed that picture to some degree.
1: Now, is this a result of the COVID infection per se, or is it um, a complication of of vaccines or a combination thereof?
8: It's probably multifactorial. Um, The studies did focus on the uh, last three years, the, the pandemic period, and they are saying it is um, largely a result of the virus itself. But I do believe that there are other confounding factors. For example, lifestyle changed, you know, in the course of the last three years during the pandemic, people were not able to exercise as well, Uh, healthy eating kind of took a hit for many, Um, stress factor went up, sleep. uh, A lot of people have sleep disturbance from the stress. So I do think that it's more than one factor that's contributing to that number.
1: Got it. And in the minutes remaining, I mean, just overall, uh, you know, being that, you know, I I never go to the cardiologist. How often should I go? Is that something I should do every year? Like my annual, cause I just had a physical and they did an EKG and all that. And they just said, Hey, you know, lose more weight. Uh, but uh, they didn't tell me I had to see any other doctors. Is that a typical thing that people should be doing?
8: I I would have to say, yes, especially those who have uh, risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, stressful jobs, um, sleep disorders, and those who have uh, family history. Genetic, it, it does play a big role. Uh, so I, you know, with the recent studies coming out, age is no longer a factor, it seems. So I do think that earlier you get a checkup, the better it is, because 80% of heart disease is preventable. So prevention is key.
1: All right. And with respect to um, stevia, I guess stevia falls into this as well, even though it's natural uh, in terms of the sweeteners. And monk fruit, or is monk fruit safe and stevia not?
8: Uh, Actually, they all fall under the same thing, yes. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, more or less. Any artificial sweetener, those uh, would be considered. Like, in this study, actually, monk fruit was uh, mentioned as well.
1: Oh, wow. So I guess uh, unless you're eating the actual fruit, if it's some sort of powder, dried-up version, um, that's where it gets that uh, other property that makes it unhealthy. right. Fascinating. Well, Doc, I want to thank you for the information. Uh, I learned a bunch of things today, and uh, I can't believe how how serious cardiovascular disease is in our country. Do you th- it, it, last question: Do you think it's because we're fat? Like overall, you know, around the world, people say Americans are fat. <laughs> is, is it because we're fat?
8: Generally <laughs> um, speaking, uh, yeah. I, heart, you know, your lifestyle plays a huge role. Huge, probably the biggest uh, when it comes to diet and exercise we can change a lot by focusing on just those two things.
1: All right. Well, we don't want to put you out of business, but you're saying if everybody loses weight and eats a little bit better, we'll all, we'll all be in better shape.
8: Much better shape. Yes.
1: Outstanding. All right, everybody, that's Dr. Fami Farah. She's with BentleyHealth.com and she's the founder of the global health Alliance foundation. She's a certified invasive cardiologist and she's out of Texas. Check her out. Follow her on Twitter and the gram at Fahmy J. Farah. And Doc, I want to thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it.
8: Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: You're welcome. All right. More to come straight ahead. We're going to get some tips on being the best that you can be. Peak performance at its finest. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night.
2: With
1: Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you, straight until 1 a.m. Eastern, keeping you company all night long. Uh, We've got the best guests, and I have to say, honestly, I have the best opinions. Just you know, in a very biased manner. Um, I want to bring your attention to a a headline from uh, two years ago that still rings true today, Uh, and it's it's like we're talking about wellness here this Wednesday workaholics are at a greater risk of depression. According to a study, researchers examined the work habits of 187 French workers. Ooh, la la. And if you're a workaholic, depression or a lack of sleep could be in the uh, offing, according to a new study in the international journal of environmental research and public health. Now I, I bring this up because I think so many people were working hard. Then the pandemic came And now people are back to working hard and there's mixed reviews on working hard, right? Some people feel like they're burning the candle at both ends. Others say, look, you got to enjoy life. And I think, you know, I'm guilty of both, right? I try to enjoy myself. You know, I like to go to Miami. I like to enjoy myself um, and have fun. But I also, you know, I work till 1 a.m. every single day and it takes me forever to fall asleep. So, you know, henceforth, why I'm drinking coffee with artificial sweeteners. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's causing other problems as, as we heard about. So I wanted to bring in uh, uh, an expert on coaching and and uh, high performance because this is ultimately where so many Americans are today. And for the first time in 50 years, rich people are buying themselves more free time. And, and this is a separate uh, study that we're going to talk about where researchers at Washington University found that this is the first time that this is happening and Americans are working less and less and less. And I guess one would suspect that their health is improving and improving and improving, but I think the jury's out on that. So we're going to find out a little bit more with our guest, Rich Bracken. He's a high performance coach and keynote speaker, Rich Bracken. Welcome to the program.
7: Hey, Rich Valdez. Good to be here, and I appreciate that. And I'm already in good company because we have the best first names along with the best opinions. So yeah. we're in great
1: company together. <laughs> there you go, brother. So uh, let, let's talk about this because I, I think it's uh, it's an interesting topic because so many people uh, I, that I know, they, they work themselves to the bone, and some are, you know, um, work hard, play hard, but some of them are just work hard and work hard again.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the people that I work with, I coach a lot of executives, CEOs, a lot of attorneys, people that are very prone to working those long hours, those hard hours. And the first thing I ask them is, what is that hour worth to you? You know, when I think about it, especially with attorneys, like, I mean, they bill by the hour. Sure. So is it worth it to have five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars? Is it worth that thousand dollars to have that hour back? of happiness, of rest, of, you know, of family time. And so yeah, you in know, other you words, like, the, what, what would you pay
1: for that hour, right?
7: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, would you pay a thousand dollars for an hour to, to just go do something that you enjoy doing, a hobby or an activity? And, and the more I, I ask that question, I find them saying, well, you know, I never thought of it that way because I'm thinking about the hour that I'm spending generating revenue, not necessarily enjoying myself or investing in my own health. And I can't tell you how many of these, these leaders, these powerful people from all walks of life and all industries are saying, look, my health and my happiness is worth more than the revenue that I would be generating in that hour. And so they're actually giving themselves back that time. And it's, it's, it's amazing the, 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 the positive repercussions of that decision, because they're, they are finding that time to spend more time with their family, to spend more time on themselves, to invest in self-care which is honestly going to be, you know, be incredibly valuable to their, to their health, to their productivity, and to their company's productivity as well. Because if you think about those individuals leading the charge, if they're burnt out, what precedent does that set for the rest of the company?
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. And that's the, the point in this article here, was that uh, these people are not only burning themselves out, but they're, they're likely to become depressed. Uh, are, are many of your clients or the people that you've helped in the past – are they coming to you because they've hit rock bottom they're depressed they're burnt out and they're like i don't know what to do i'm making all this money but who cares i can't spend it cuz i hate everything cuz i'm i'm all messed up
7: 1000% mm-hmm. they are they are spending their time and they're spending their money on treating the the sickness that is being caused by their workaholism mm-hmm. and so by investing that time and they are depressed they are you know they, you know not because not because they work until one a.m. like you are, my friend, but <laughs> they are they're burning the candle at both ends to keep working, and it's they're trying to cover up for a lot of different reasons. You know when I, and I have a lot of heart to heart conversations with some very powerful people, and they will say to me, "Look, I don't I don't know what else to do here. I've been conditioned to think that working is a badge of honor, and at right. the end of the day, like I, I tell them, I'm like you know if I, if I'll, I I'm a, b- a big believer in analogy." And I tell them, look, if you told me that you spent 80 hours cutting down a tree with a butter knife, do you think I'm going to be impressed with the time (laughs) you invested in it? Or if you said, hey, Rich, you know, I actually knocked this thing out in 10 hours because I used a, you know, a a handsaw. I knocked it out in 15 minutes because I had a chainsaw. Like it's working smarter and not harder, but making sure that you're investing that time. And that is the number one thing. I will say, you know, I'm not a psychologist by any means. I'm not a counselor, but I have a lot of these conversations where you know powerful attorneys from all over the country, all over the world are sitting down saying like, hey, look, I need help because they don't know what else to do and they don't know how to change those work habits. And that's where I really engage them to help them out with how they manage their days, how they manage their schedules, how they manage their delegation, because a lot of it, too, is that 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 alpha mentality. I've got to do these things. I've got to control this. I've got to be involved in all the meetings. And so really diving into their habits on a day-to-day basis is where I give them that freedom back.
1: All right, everybody, we're on with Rich Bracken. Uh, He's at richbracken.com if you want to check out his website, high-performance business coach, keynote speaker. And we're talking about burning the candle at both ends, workaholism, and is it coming to an end uh, some say yes. Some say no. I'm not sold. I'm going to let Rich Bracken continue to persuade me. I think people are still burning the candle at both ends, perhaps more now than than before, only because I think, you know, the economy is a little bit tighter and people are doing a little bit extra. But we're going to figure out how to get to the bottom of this where you don't kill yourself and there's that appropriate work-life balance, which everybody needs. And I definitely get mine. That's why I watch all the reality TV. When I'm not looking at politics and the news of the day, (laughs) I'm watching the craziest things on television. So give us a call if you have a question for Rich Bracken. Uh, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. We're coming right back.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 8337 833
1: valdes That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and uh, our guest is Rich Bracken. Rich Bracken, you can get him at richbracken.com. He's a high-performance business coach, keynote speaker, and we're talking about burning the candle at both ends. And uh, Rich Bracken, tell us, um, do you really think that workaholism is improving or not?
7: You know, Rich, I think it's I think it's a, a, a split here here. I think there are those that have not come out of. Well, first of all, I think there were those that had the the bad habit of workaholism before the pandemic. Um, there were studies that showed that even during the pandemic, workaholism went up because we we're a lot of people were working from home, and it's much harder. Well, when we were all trying to figure it out, that people were spending more time working in their home office, feeling that they were completely on call. People knew where they were all the time. So they felt like they were. It was almost a twenty-four-seven mentality, mm-hmm. and that changed for a lot of people once they started diving into more mental health care, uh, self-care. You know, I talk a lot about emotional intelligence. That saw a huge uptick during the pandemic, and now that we've come out of it, there really—it's it's been a big fork in the road. There have been people that have said, "Look, you know, I was a workaholic before the pandemic. I became worse, and now I've invested in who I am." And so I don't want to go back to those bad habits. And then there are those who have doubled down on the workaholism and saying, well, you know, the economy sucks and I've got to get back, you know, I've got to get back the revenue that I lost during the pandemic. And I've got to do all these things to make it happen. And so I think it's really, I wouldn't say a 50-50 split, but I think there are more people that are getting into the idea that being a workaholic is not the right thing for them, both from a financial standpoint, but primarily from a health standpoint. Because like you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, workaholism contributes to anxiety, to, to chronic stress, to, to insomnia, uh, cardiovascular disease, and, you know, and things as, as dire as suicide. So I, I think it's really important that people understand that, yes, you can work and you can have that badge of honor of working, but at what cost?
1: Right. And you're 100 percent right. I think that there are a lot of people that want to work and uh, or that's what they know. Like you said, there's a sense of uh, um, of it being a noble deed. It's like, hey, what do you do? I work hard. I'm a hardworking guy. And uh, and I think that right. type of work ethic is, is something a lot of people are proud of. But at the same time, it's got to be done well, because otherwise you could put yourself at risk of burnout. Uh, we've got a caller in Wichita, Kansas, KQAM 1480 AM. David, welcome. You're on with Rich Brack, uh, Bracken and Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, fellas. This is David. Hi. Yes, sir. Go right hey, ahead. David. Yeah, I'm here. How are you guys doing? Great. So what's on your mind? What did you want to say to uh, Rich Bracken? Bracken? Excuse me.
7: Uh, I'm rich. Uh, I'm one of those guys, I, I guess you call a workaholic. I uh, work a full-time job, and right now I'm at my part-time job. And I've had two days off since last mid-July. But I'm looking forward to the end of April when I start drawing my Social Security, but I'm going to let my part-time job go. And, oh, my God, have two days off a week. I'm looking so forward to that.
1: Woo! <laughs> all right, so Rich <laughs> uh, Rich Bratchett, Bracken, I keep messing that up. Um, what what advice correct. do you give David uh, in a situation like this?
7: Well, David, first of all, you know I'm I'm right down the road here in Kansas City, so so go Chiefs. Uh, but second of all, you know I think w- what I what I advise you is that you know I under, I don't understand your situation, but obviously you're you're, you're working a full time and a part time job for a reason. What I want to ask you is: Do you have time in your schedule on a weekly basis? You know, when you're when you're saying I haven't taken I've only taken two days off since July. Do you have time in your calendar on a day-to-day basis that you're inserting some sort of a a self-care or or time that is yours? Do you have that time in your schedule now? Uh, As a matter of fact, I make time. Uh, after I get home from work from both jobs and I read my Bible and, uh, that's where I get my strength. I love that. I love that. And, and I think, um, you know, and I, and I don't, what is your, what is your daily schedule look like from a time perspective? Like what time do you go into your full-time job? What time, you know, what, what time do you get up? Kind of walk me through that real quick. Uh, they're both second shift. One is from, uh, 2.30 2.30 in the afternoon to 11 at night, and the other one is from 4 to 12, and I'm, they're both securities. Okay. So, so David, what, what I encourage you to do, I want you, and I'm, I'm sure you either you keep a calendar on your phone. Obviously, you're a busy man, so you got to keep track of these kinds of things. What I want you to do is I want you to spend some time either during a break or when you're, when you're not at work and I want you to sit down and look at the next seven days of what you have on your calendar. And I want you to find 30 minutes, even 15 minutes. And I understand you've, you've got your Bible time, and I'm a man of faith as well, so I appreciate that about you. But I want you to find 30 minutes to to figure out what you can do to block that time and make it non-negotiable. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if if, you know— Publishers Clearinghouse, if they still do that even, shows up at the door with a million-dollar check, you're, you're too busy taking care of yourself at that time to worry about it. And I want you to find that time during the day, during each day, that you can explore something that is interesting to you. Because what I will say is that, you know, when I talk about self-care with corporations and different companies, we're like, oh, I'd love to go to the spa, but I just don't have time to do it. Or I don't have the resources to do it. It's not the spa that, that makes it self-care. I want you to go outside and go for a walk. We're having beautiful weather here in Kansas so I you know you got you've got the ability to do that. Do do something that that works on your health. Do go out for a walk, go, you know, go do something that really enjoy, that you enjoy and I promise you under outside of the Bible study which I appreciate, that investment of time in a hobby and you know in your family and your neighbors and your community will pay dividends. And while you're working towards that retirement, while you're working towards that social security, at least you can implement that time now to continue to invest in yourself. Because I, I, I appreciate how hard you work, my friend, and I want you to be able to take care of yourself and invest in your time, both physically and mentally, because yeah, you're obviously doing it spiritually. But if you invest that time on a daily basis, I promise you it'll be one of the best investments you ever make.
1: All right, well, thank you, David and Wichita. I appreciate the call. And excellent advice uh, from Rich Bracken. Check him out at richbracken.com. We're going to wrap up with Rich momentarily. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez.
1: Uh, this is a talent uh, that I have with my hair because you know I have competition. You guys don't know about Alexander Hinton. He's uh, behind the glass here in the studio. He actually does have a great head of hair. To you, head of hair, but he has not won the award for half a dozen years in a row. So, ha-ha, my friend, ha-ha. Anyway, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and we are on with Rich Bracken. He's a high-performance business coach and a keynote speaker. You can learn more about him at richbracken.com. And Rich Bracken, uh, in the minutes that we have remaining, I want you to kind of just uh, give us your final thoughts on what, you know, kind of what you just did with the last caller, but um, the general advice, general tips on what people need to do to to make sure they – you can work hard, but don't be a workaholic. Yeah.
7: So first of all, I I think you need to, everybody needs to evaluate how their work should be working smarter and not harder. And we talked about that a minute ago. And so what I always encourage is doing a daily audit of what you're working on, where you're spending your time and be really honest with what is contributing to your bottom line, what is contributing to your personal bottom line. And if it's not contributing to either, then it's got to go. Uh, second of all, we need to set boundaries. We need to say, look, you know, I'm going to be done at five o'clock, six o'clock, and just not going to go back from that. So it, even if it may, means you need to set up your out of office assistant to let people know, hey, look, I'm I'm out until tomorrow morning at seven a.m. You can reach me then, or I'll get back to you then, but I'm not going to be available from this point forward. Uh, and then also one of the most important things we just talked about this with David is blocking that intentional time for yourself. And even if you have to put it on your calendar, I live and dive on my calendar, and I have to put my exercise time on there, my music time on there, because I used to be a DJ, so music is a big thing for me. And so blocking that time to take care of yourself is the most important meeting you will have. I don't care what other meetings are on your calendar. I don't care what other clients you've got. If you're not investing in yourself and you're not blocking that time for yourself, you're going to wind up paying for your sickness instead of investing in your health.
1: That is excellent advice, and I have to say, I want to be a DJ. <laughs> That's the hobby I want to take up.
7: <laughs> hey, Rich,
1: I will teach you,
7: man. I will teach you.
1: I want to spin some vinyl and maybe get a gig on Saturday since I'm off on Saturday and Sunday, I want to you know, maybe do like a music radio show. I would love that. If anybody listening in Radio Land and wants to hire me to do radio on the weekends, music radio, because my contract is for talk radio, uh, I'm, I'm all ears. Anyway, uh, Rich Bracken, uh, excellent job tonight. I think uh, everything was well received and it's really good advice because people do get caught up in this workaholism and whether whether they're realizing that they're in that rut or not, it's important to have that balance like you said. So uh, let everybody know okay. where they could find you and um, how to get you on social media if you're available on social media.
7: Absolutely. Yeah, you can find me at richbracken.com. All my social links are on there. You can find me primarily on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, So please reach out to me if I can help at all, if I can provide resources for you, your company, richbracken.com. You got it.
1: All right, Rich Bracken, thank you for being with us. I hope you'll come back soon. And um, yeah, keep up the good work, my man.
7: I appreciate it. Anytime, Rich.
1: You got it. All right, straight ahead. We're going to continue with your calls and more. It's Open Phone America. Open Phones Across America, the phone number 8334-VALDEZ, 833, the number 4-VALDEZ, or the Legacy Line, 866-505-4626. Don't go anywhere. Open phone America starts right now. Hi there, good evening and what's up America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your Liberty loving Latino amigo. And uh, tonight we're live from the nation's capital at the Westwood One Studios in Washington, D.C. And uh, I'm in town for CPAC. Uh, Had a great time at CPAC tonight. Big shout out to Matt Schlapp, Mercedes Schlapp and the entire CPAC squad uh, for having me tonight. Um, We did a panel on... Voter outreach as part of the activism training to kick off CPAC, and it was really cool. I'll be on Radio road tomorrow and on Friday as well, so uh, check me out at CPAC if you're in town. I'd love to meet you, say hello, take a picture, whatever, and we'll uh, discuss more of that on the radio live as well. But I want to also talk about some of the headlines here. You know, tonight we talked about a lot of different things. Uh, We kicked off uh, our our program tonight with uh, Professor Jay Bhattacharya. He's a MD, PhD, professor of health policy at Stanford University, and he had a lot of really good things to say. So if you're just tuning in right now because you, the station you listen to only carries a second or third hour of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Rich Valdez, America at Night. And if you're streaming the program, you could listen to it there as well, richvaldezamericatnight.com. Make sure you check it out because it was a really good conversation with a lot of insightful information. He weighed in on... This um, quote unquote treaty that the United States government is thinking of, of engaging in with the World Health Organization, where we exchange some of our uh, ability to make sovereign decisions over our health policy during a pandemic over to the World Health Organization. And um, that's uh, obviously problematic. So we talked a little bit about that. Then we talked uh, with Dr. Uh, Fami Farah about Sweeteners. Now, for years, we've talked about artificial sweeteners and people have known they're not good for you. They do this, they do that. But uh, now there's conclusive evidence in, in, or at least a, a very well-regarded study that many doctors are taking seriously that this stuff messes up your cardiovascular system. So we had a really good discussion on that. And if you missed that, again, check it out. Uh, we also talked about uh, workaholism and burning out And, you know, all of these things, I think they lead to stress. They lead to people being um, uncomfortable, right? And when people are uncomfortable, they oftentimes will end up, uh, as the saying goes, eating their feelings. And and that can lead to things like diabetes and obesity and all that stuff. And of course, when that happens, people need medicine. They need insulin. They need this. They need that. And uh, there's an article in the Washington Times, and I don't typically, uh, not the Washington Times, the New York Times, that I, I don't usually look at the New York Times, but it's, a, it's an interesting article and it reflects what is going on with the latest announcement from Eli Lilly, the uh, manufacturer, uh, one of the biggest manufacturers of insulin in the country, where they're going to be reducing their prices. And we have a clip of audio. I want you to listen to this. Today,
0: Eli Lilly, the largest manufacturer of insulin in the United States, heeded that call and announced that they are lowering their prices, capping what p- patients pay out of the pocket uh, out of pocket for drug makers' insulin products at thirty dollars, at thirty five dollars.
1: So that's the um, the the new big story that people are going to save money on insulin and. They're doing this, I I'm guessing maybe the kindness of their heart to, to try and, you know, um get good press. You name it, I think all of those reasons uh are present. But that is what's happening there. And it seems like there's a big focus, not just on our show today, but a big focus overall on people's health. And I, I can't help but think, I don't know, and you know, maybe this is some good uh commercial break research that we'll do, but I don't know that other countries besides, you know, these developed uh, countries like, you know, the United States or maybe the UK or, you know, some other places. But I'm curious to know if we are in first place as the most obese nation on the planet. My gut, no pun intended, my gut tells me, yes, we probably are. And um, henceforth, why we bring on guests to talk about COVID or this and that, and everything ends up talking about cardiovascular disease and people being obese. So we're going to uh, we're going to find out what's going on, uh, plus your calls. Uh, it is Open Phone America. You're welcome to join the program, 833-4-VALDES, 833, the number 4-VALDES, V-A-L-D-E-S. And uh, we're taking calls on just about anything. Uh, pretty soon, um, I keep saying it, but we're going to do it. We are going to implement our a new segment. I don't know where we're going to put that segment, but we're going to put it somewhere. And it's going to be called... I think we're going to, it's like a play on Dear Abby called Dear Richie where people will write in and uh, we will, you know, ask me a question about whatever and I will pretend I know all the answers and it'll be humorous that way. And uh, I will give you my opinions as I always do, but I'm looking forward to that uh, because I think we can have some fun with it. And I also wanted to give you some news on something that I really enjoy, but I don't often talk about, which is professional wrestling. As a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I used to go to Shell Bank Junior High School and and we would watch, uh, you know, wrestlers, classic wrestlers, wrestlers like uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka and Iron Mike Sharp and, and so many of, of these just classic old school wrestlers. And I, and I grew up watching wrestling. My dad took me to Madison Square Garden, I don't know, probably at least a dozen times. Uh, you know, I probably went there for the circus maybe once or twice and probably a dozen times to watch. Back then it was called WWF World Wrestling Federation, now known as WWE, and it's a lot bigger today. Uh, but this was a, a big thing for me, and me, me and my dad. That and monster trucks, Bigfoot and all that stuff. But anyway, uh, I don't talk about it much now, but I do enjoy it. I don't watch it as much as I used to, but uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, when you talk about the news and politics, which are real things, and the World Health Organization overcoming, you know, uh, American sovereignty and, you know, inflation, another real thing, and money that has to be spent – these are all real things, and they get all of us worked up. But then there's wrestling, right? You might get worked up, but it's in a fun way because it's it's not real life. It's an escape from real life, and uh, and that's part of what I love about that and quote unquote reality TV. I also I watch every shore show you can find: Jersey Shore, Acapulco Shore. What else do they have? Uh, Florida Shore. I watch them all. I'm admitting that on the radio here, and uh, and I'm not ashamed to say it. They're fantastic shows. They really are. I enjoy them a lot. And speaking of wrestling, uh, there's an article here in pinkvilla.com. Will John Cena return to the WWE anytime soon? It says John Cena has maintained the streak of appearing for at least one WWE match every year since his debut in 2002. Will he return to the ring in 2023? Well, uh, that's the speculation that's going on. John Cena, who's just a little bit older than me, and we're apparently very in similar shape. Just kidding. I could say that on the radio, but in real life, it's not true. Um, he's, he's definitely one of the most popular wrestlers out there. And and the question is, you know, is he stepping back into the ring? And the reason I'm bringing up John Cena is because the other day I was looking at my Twitter notifications And, you know, it said, oh, so-and-so followed you, so-and-so followed you. And then it said, John Cena followed you. And I was like, wow, there's another guy named John Cena out there? (laughs) So I look, and no, it's it's actually John Cena, the wrestler. I was like, oh, snap, that's so cool. John Cena either listens to the show or saw me on TV or whatever and decided to give me a follow. So thank you, John Cena, for the follow. Maybe we can have him on to uh, discuss his new movie with Kevin Hart. That would be pretty cool. So let's get our production crew on top of that and see what happens there. But um, I le- the other day I was talking about that. I was saying, which wrestler do you think uh, has followed me on Twitter? And I-, I said, I'll let you know in the next break. And that was two days ago and I didn't do it. So shame on me. I'm circling back on that like Jen back, Pasaki. All right. Now, I want to um, also get into a little bit of audio uh, with um, what happened today on Capitol Hill in one of these hearings. But first, a message from our sponsors.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833 482 53378334 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S.
1: All right, so we're, I'm looking at an article here, Washington Post. And again, I don't I'm not a, uh, a fan of The Washington Post. I feel like a lot of their reporting is biased. Uh, the stuff they report is straight news oftentimes is editorialized and should be labeled opinion. Uh, but listen to this headline: Finland builds a fence along the border with Russia, citing security situation. So Finland begins construction of a barrier wall along with Russia and, you know, to to keep people out. And that's okay. It's not racist, xenophobic, or anything else like it was here. But yet, in the United States, you can't do that. Now, there is a clip of Merrick Garland today talking about this specific thing about saying, well, you know, the, the drug cartels, they're not really terrorists, they're not bad people. Listen to this Mexican
4: drug cartels, should they be uh, designated foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law? Yeah, I think it's the, the same answer I gave before. They are already uh, designated in any number of ways and sanctioned by the Treasury. Would Dep- you
3: oppose?
4: Some of us trying to make them foreign terrorist organizations. I wouldn't oppose it, but again, um, I want to point out their diplomatic concerns. We need the assistance of Mexico in this and designating. Is Mexico helping us effectively with our fentanyl? They problem? are helping us, but they could do much more. There's no question about that. Well, if this is helping, I would hate to see what not helping looks like. Well, so could- the bottom line for me is they're not helping, and we need to up our game when it comes to fentanyl.
1: Yeah, and he's 100% right. The borders are open. People are traveling like as if they were astronauts coming in and out of our orbit here. And uh, speaking of astronauts, uh, the the crew, SpaceX Crew-6, NASA's SpaceX Crew-6, is uh, almost ready to blast off from, uh, I guess they call it Cape, yes, they still call it Cape Canaveral, right? Um, used right. It, it, it used to be Cape Canaveral, then it became Cape Coral, and then they went back to Cape Canaveral. Is that how that worked? Okay making sure I'm I'm calling it the right thing at the Kennedy Space Center. So um, once that happens, I will let you know. But I just saw them waving on the television. It looked like they were going uh, into their spaceship to go do what astronauts do. Now, you've probably heard me mention my story about Buzz Aldrin, so I won't bring it up just yet. But I will say um, that he's the only astronaut I've ever met. And, man, what a cool guy he was. So I'd like to meet some more astronauts. Maybe we have to bring a few more of them on the show. Anyway... Uh, That was an ADD moment. Let's go back to this stuff with the border. So Merrick Garland says, look, I'm not opposed to this, but there's diplomatic concerns. What's the diplomatic concern? You know, I remember President Trump saying, these guys, the Mexican cartels, we have to label them as narco-terrorists. And the minute he brought that up, all of a sudden, they were like, no, 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 don't do that. Because, of course, you could use the military, to fight your narco-terrorist enemies. But you can't do that if they're not terrorists, if they're just, uh, you know, drug dealers that are in a different country. And guess what was the the fruit of that, at least the way I see it? Uh, The MPP, the Remain in Mexico policy, the Migrant Protection Protocols, that was president, one of his uh, chief accomplishments, I think, was making sure that people that were coming, uh, trying to sneak into the United States, stayed in Mexico and dealt with their asylum issues from Mexico because there was no need for them to necessarily come into the United States to deal with things here, right? And and that was the the argument that was consistently made by uh, the national security officials and immigration officials in the Trump administration was that people are coming from the Northern Triangle, from Honduras, uh, Nicaragua, from uh, El Salvador to the United States, Guatemala. And when you come from any one of those countries, and you make your way across, once you're out of the the region where you're fleeing as a refugee, you're out of danger, right? For whatever cause for asylum you were claiming. So once you're out of that area, you can can claim asylum in any one of those countries. It doesn't necessarily have to be the United States. So meaning like if things are bad in the United States, I can go to Mexico, I can go to Canada, but the point is to get out of the United States because this is where it's bad. And once you're out of the bad, then you're technically okay, But, you know, they're they're picking and choosing to be specifically in the United States. So um, what are your thoughts? Should we label the drug cartels at the Mexican border narco terrorists? Should they become terrorists and and be treated as terrorists? Uh, Because in my opinion, yeah, probably, because that seems to work. A, it gets them to move a little bit different, and B, I think it gives the United States government some leverage. So I'd like your opinions on that, uh, your calls on that, 833-4-VALDES, 833, the number 4-V-A-L-D-E-S. Now, something else that I wanted to bring up tonight is uh, there's a lot of uh, critique on child labor, and one of the critiques on child labor uh there's articles on it there's a lot a lot of it here uh, child immigration child labor and you you have <laughs> you have some people blaming the past administration and then you have others that are blaming the 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 situation with this. On climate change. I mean, so it's very disparate, but I want to first go to Joy Reid, right? Joy Reid is, uh, you know, she's uh, one of the hosts on MSNBC who, again, I don't know. I remember like six months ago, they were saying, it's going to be her last episode. She's going to be retiring and blah, blah, blah. And here she is. She's constantly on TV. And uh, she's blaming the rise of child labor on Trump for deregulating child labor laws.
9: The Fair Labor Labor Act did establish a standard rule for labor practices, practices that are being skirted to this day. According to data from the U.S. Labor Department's Wage and Hour Division, child labor violations have been on the rise since 2015. Modern-day Republicans, led by the twice-impeached former president, have led the charge on deregulation. And just like East Palestine, Ohio... In East Palestine, Ohio, Donald Trump and his various agencies proposed rolling back regulations that protected workers and children. One USDA food safety official openly admitted that safety wasn't a top priority because, quote, we don't regulate worker safety. At the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, Trump officials sought to loosen reporting requirements for injury and illness data for large companies. And at one point, his Department of Labor sought to unwind decades-old youth labor protections by allowing teenagers.
1: So check this out. So Joy Reid is literally making a case here saying that somehow it's the Trump administration. Now, again, if you're listening to this and you think, no, no, that's actually, that's accurate, right? She's saying there's a rise in child labor that's resulting from uh, his rollback on on these laws. This couldn't be any crazier right? There's no government, uh, at least let me rephrase. There's no government official in the United States. I I haven't even seen a Democrat do this, uh, promote any type of child labor. The only thing Democrats promote for children besides drag shows, drag queen shows, uh, voting for 16-year-olds and and putting um, women and girls on the front lines in the military and eligible for the draft, those are the things that they advocate for. But um, having children work No, come on. They don't want adults to work, right? They believe in the nanny state. Go right ahead.
9: Just to work longer hours under some of the most hazardous workplace conditions. States across this country took the baton from Trump and went even further. In Iowa, Republican legislators who have a supermajority introduced a bill to expand the types of work that 14 and 15 year olds would be permitted to do as part of approved training programs. The bill would extend allowable work hours and exempt employers from liability if those young workers are sickened, injured, or killed on the job. Minnesota is looking to pass similar legislation.
1: Okay, so um, again, I'll go ahead and do some of the research on this, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't really think that anybody's pushing a law that is going to hurt children. But again, we'll take a look and your thoughts on that. Eight three three four Valdez. Eight three three four Valdez. Personally, I, if Joy Reid's saying it, I can almost automatically discount it. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at night. Your calls coming up. Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. Your calls, 833-4-Valdez. I almost forgot the number. (laughs) Okay, let's go here. Where are we going? We're going to go to Andrew in Sebring, Florida, WWTK. Go right ahead, sir.
10: Hey, Rich. I just wanted to say, uh, I believe we declared Columbia a narco state back in the day. And of course, this place should be labeled as such also. However, the thing about it is that it plays right into their mayhem. I can't figure out for the life of me why they want to, you know, create such a thing on society. But it's really apparent that that's that was like uh, a nice byproduct for the Democrats. Uh, That's how I see
1: that. What's the nice byproduct, the fact that we're bringing in the drugs or the the designation of calling them narco-terrorists?
10: Everybody being, you know, it's, to them it's a benefit with everybody all messed up. They, they, they seem to want to point out all of our, our, our issues, you know, but they're, they're the ones that are throwing the fuel on the fire with it, you know. Um, and yes, of course, they should be declaring them uh, narco state, but it doesn't play into their stuff. They, 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 they want it all screwed up here, obviously.
1: Yeah. No, I I get, I get what you're saying, brother. Uh, I totally do. And and this is, you know, the, the conundrum we have, right. You know, all of us wake up each day and put our pants on one leg at a time and go to work and try to live life. And we figure out why on earth do we have these problems? Like why on earth do we, you know, people say, no, well, the the reason there's all these drugs is because there's a huge appetite for illicit drugs in in America. Okay. Even if that is true and, and I'm, I believe it is because, you know, supply and demand, We can manage that. That that can't. um, Just imagine you you go to Chicago and you say, "Oh well, the reason that there's all these dead people is because these people really like to kill people. So what? Who cares what they like to do? You know, I mean, there there are laws on the books and they have to be enforced. And I think that's part of the problem is that we appease things too easily. So yeah, I I get what you're saying. They they want the mayhem in one way or another, whether it's this Cloward and uh, Piven. Uh, philosophy of overwhelming the system using, like Stalin said, using the system to destroy the system, or uh, it's you know some evil scientist that's just like, Whoa. you know, we want to see everybody in bad shape. But uh, I, I agree with you, Andrew. This is a, a, a bad situation, and we, um, we we need to better manage it, not just for the sake of border security, but for the sake of these kids not ending up dead. I mean, it's it's horrible. I, you, as we look through show prep every day, different articles, different topics, there's always a fentanyl death. Every day there's a new little kid, 13, 15, 19, that, that, that's dying uh, from fentanyl or just for the first time thought they were doing Xanax at a party and decided uh, to take this pill for the first time and drop dead because it was laced with fentanyl because it was like a fake pill. And uh, I, I personally, I'm tired of hearing that stuff, Andrew.
10: Yeah it's it's huge here in, in in this little city that I live in and and what kills me is to know that folks are actually asking for that mess by name now they want that knowing what it's doing they're asking for it that it's it's completely psycho you know it's not like uh the old school times where the dope seems to have taken years to kill you you know right. guy be on heroin for 20 30 40 50 years um, you know still going but
1: you know, there was a woman, uh, just real quick, there was a woman that called into the show and said that she was on it for like 18 years. And I was like, wow, what kind of fentanyl are you using that you can do fentanyl for 18 years? You know, my, my thinking is everybody who tries that stuff, you know, dies pretty quickly. Uh, it seems to be, you know, like you, you've got to be insane to try that stuff. But but I, I, I hear you. It's uh, You're right. People are asking for it by name. People prefer it. I guess it hits harder, faster, stronger than heroin does. And it's probably cheaper and easier to make and source for the Chinese to send the ingredients over to Mexico for the cartels to produce it and stamp it and then push it right into our cities once they get across the border. It's a horrible situation, Andrew. It is, sir. It is. It is. We need to pray. (laughs) Amen to that. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate your call from WWTK in Sebring, Florida. Uh, We're going to continue with your calls. Let us go to Sarah in Bedford Indiana Sarah welcome you're on with Rich Valdez
10: a uh, great show as always and you know it, it makes you. me laugh The liberals always want to put uh, child labor in a pejorative light but you know when I was growing up in Brooklyn there'd be a little corner store usually run by an immigrant family and the kid would be helping out the cash register and you know what he was learning a skill And he was happy to do it and, yeah, keeping them uh, off the streets and stuff. And it it was a healthy thing. And then I live out here in Indiana. We get a lot of Amish, and they run little fruit stands or, like, vegetable stands and stuff like that, you know, in the summer. And they got their little kids, and they're taking money and doing the math in their head, something I have a hard time doing. And they're healthier and happier for it, you know?
1: Yeah, listen, uh, they're learning their family business. I I agree in in that respect that, you know, if – if it's a family business and you're managing it well and your kids are, you know, you're being responsible as a parent, then, you know, go for it. I think I guess it becomes a problem where people start complaining with when if your family business is a sweatshop or producing, you know, Nike sneakers for 18 cents uh, an hour, you know, with 12-year-olds with that have bleeding fingertips and, you know, all these horror stories that we've heard about the sweatshops that, you know, so many American uh, athletic brands uh, that have factories in China – uh, are infamous for. And, you know, I guess that's where it, we, we draw the line gonna do, you do say, well, it's our family business. You know, we run a sweatshop and that's what we do here. And, and it just, it strikes me as uh, no, no, no bueno, not good at all. But I agree with you. Listen, I, I, um, I had a business as a young man. I was 16 years old when I started my business and uh, I, I encourage my kids to experiment with opening a business and to learn about business because Ultimately, when your boss comes to you and let's say you have a bad attitude and somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, I'd like you to do more of this or more of that. And you know that you're the type to go, "Eh, F you very much. You know, um, you're not going to work for other people for very long with that kind of attitude. And the reality is there's a lot of people like that. So if you're one of those people, then you'd better know how to make money on your own. You'd better know how to run a company. You'd better know how to make a business and market that business and get customers for that business because you're going to find yourself by yourself if you don't. Right, Sarah?
10: I agree. And you know what? These liberals, uh, if they care about child labor, uh, they should have worried about globalization and outsourcing to countries where they don't have labor laws and child protection.
1: Yeah, Let me tell you, I think that's so spot on. And, you know, I probably mentioned it a million times, but, you know, when I was in high school, there were factories. I went to North Bergen High School, North Bergen, New Jersey, and there were factories all over North Bergen, all over Union City, New Jersey, where they made, um, you know, they did embroidery, they made garments, there were textile factories. All of that's gone. There's very few of them, if any, left. And, uh, I mean, it was known for 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 that in the area. I think it was known as like the textile capital of the world, or at least that was the nickname of, it, uh, of that area. And that's not the, the case anymore. And now all of that stuff is in China and it's, it's a shame. It's a shame to see that we've lost so much of that market share, uh, to, you know, what some will say competitors, others will say adversaries and I'll say enemies. We've lost it to our enemies and it's a horrible look. Well, Sarah, I want to thank you for your call. Great insight as always. And, uh, Feel free to call back in anytime you can. All right. We're going to continue with this conversation, your calls and more straight ahead. It's 833-4-VALDEZ. Open phone across America. I am Rich Valdez.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: all right welcome back it's rich valdez at rich valdez on all of the social media and um I, whenever i have any videos i want to post i always put them on instagram it's the easiest place to upload them so if you want to follow me there feel free you can follow me on truth social uh excellent conversation that we have going on truth social as well getter instagram facebook and twitter twitter is always easy i mean that's just where so much happens anyway uh but uh that's Rich Valdez with an S, by the way. And if you haven't already given our website a uh, check it out, make sure you check it out. It's Rich Valdez America at night. Rich America at night dot com. And you can listen to the show live there. So no matter where you are, you could be in your car and you could just say, Hey Siri, play Rich America at night dot com. And uh there will be a show there, whether it if you're listening to, between the hours of ten and one. You're going to get the show live. If not, you're going to get the most recent show. And you can look at the entire archive of shows because they're all there. Plus, you could sign up for the podcast as well. Rich Valdez, America at Night. I can't stress that enough. Uh, And why can't I stress it enough? Because the executives here tell me to. (laughs) So I'm making sure I'm doing my job. Now, we were talking about children. We're talking about narco-terrorists. We're talking about fentanyl flooding, uh, what's going on. And first name? Rebecca Kiesling uh, is a mom who testified in front of a Senate committee talking about how fentanyl claimed the lives of her children. And uh, she, uh, she pulled no punches in her testimony. Listen to this.
0: This all started at the schools. And the law enforcement are doing all they can, but they usually don't have leads. You have to stop it from its source. Now, if we had Chinese troops lining up along our southern border with weapons aimed at our people, with weapons of mass destruction aimed at our cities. You damn well know you would do something about it. We have a weather balloon from China going across our country. Nobody died, and everybody's freaking out about it. But 100,000 die every year? And nothing's being done. Not enough is being done. Numbers are going up, not down. And you talk about children being taken away from their parents. My children were taken away from me. A hundred thousand Americans every year are having their children. Two hundred thousand, because it's both parents, right? Are having their children taken away from them. (laughs) This should not be politicized. It's not about race. Fentanyl doesn't care about race. You see, you talk about welcoming those crossing our border, seeking protection. You're welcoming drug dealers across our border. You're giving them protection. You're not protecting our children.
1: We're not protecting our children. We need to protect America. We need to protect America's border in order to protect our children. This woman, this mom, Rebecca Kiesling, my heart goes out to her. I, I'm a dad. I talk about it a lot because it, once you become a parent, at least for me, it was this way. You know, I'm a pretty uh, self-absorbed, confident, borderline cocky, arrogant, uh, you know, full of myself kind of guy with an amazing head of hair. And, you know, when I, when I think about life, life changed when I became a dad, right? Everything was them first, me second. And and definitely me in a close second, but yeah, them first. And you know, I, I say these things in jest, but I'm I'm serious. It's tongue in cheek, but it really is the real thing. It, it changes you. And and her her pain and the raw emotion is genuine, and it, it just breaks my heart to hear a mom go through that. But she wasn't done. She had more to say. Listen to this.
0: But there's thousands of parents who have lost their children. Every day, faces are added. It's dehumanizing, it's demoralizing. There's parents who are, um, they paint the chairs purple and they kind of make shrines for their children. And I see those purple chairs because purple is the um, you know color for a, a drug death. And I don't use the term drug overdose because this was not an overdose, this was murder. My children got fake Percocets that were fentanyl. There was no Percocet in it at all. And it's a homicide, not overdose. But they have these purple chairs. And I saw that and I thought, I don't ever wanna have purple chairs. I don't need a reminder. I don't wanna remember my sons for how they died. I don't wanna remember them for how they lived, but I'm here testifying today because there are other people who need to remember I don't need a purple chair in my house. Congress needs a purple chair. The White House needs a purple chair to never forget about all those who are being slaughtered. This is a war. Act like it. Do something.
1: They're poisoning our children. You know, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, four months ago, it's time to bring them back on. Derek Maltz, he's a former DEA agent, he... uh, he was on the program, and he made it clear, this distinction. He said fentanyl is a poisoning. It's it's poisoning our people because, again, for that reason, they're lying to them. They're thinking it's a Xanax. They're thinking it's Adderall. They're thinking that it's a Percocet. Which one of us hasn't been to the dentist and gotten Percocets? Uh, you know, th- this is l- lamentably. Look, uh, I don't go on the street buying Percocets, right? Uh, thank God. But I understand that there are people are. And, and they're hoping to, to do whatever it is they're doing. And I'm, I'm, I don't condone drug misuse, drug abuse, illegal drug use. But I definitely don't condone fake pills that kill people and poison them. I mean, this is crazy. And this mom is right. We're at war. If there's anywhere that needs a purple chair, it's in the White House because the buck has to stop with Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs to realize, hey, look, moms like this, Are many. She just happens to be the one that can hold it together to get through this testimony in Congress. Thank God the rest of us don't have to. Joe Biden needs to step it up. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
3: to listen to you rich all the time
2: america at night with rich valdez
1: all right welcome back and uh, we're talking about kids protecting kids and uh, this big fentanyl bus we talked a little bit about it the other day 4.5 million fentanyl pills three thousand pounds of methamphetamine were seized in arizona uh, by the dea and this was again just a few days ago uh it, it amazes me i mean If this is what they're seizing, imagine how much is getting in, right? The old philosophy of, you know, you pull over one truck and you let, you know, another 10 in. Uh, Scary to think this is happening. But uh, the authorities in Arizona were targeting the Sinaloa cartel, and they've seized narcotics estimated to be worth more than $13 million. And again, more than 4.5 million fentanyl pills, 3,100 pounds of methamphetamine, large quantities of heroin, cocaine, fentanyl powder and other uh, illicit drugs according to the DEA. And uh along with this, they've charged 150 people. Crazy stuff. Crazy. They're saying the uh the street value uh was 13 million, but that more than 30 million doses could be issued uh to, you know, would be um drug users. Anyway, things are, things are tough out there. Let us hit the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ, 8334 833-4-VALDEZ, 8334 Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead, sir.
5: Hi, sir. I just wanted to say that, you know, sometimes it's a matter of cultural perspective. What, my, my, my Russian teacher, she was the third highest person in the Soviet Ministry for Culture, and she walked into my apartment well, that, one That day sounds and pretty scary, the thing.
1: Soviet Ministry for Culture. Was she related to Stalin?
5: Um, her mother was one of the best, grew up in the same neighborhood as Stalin and mm-hmm. Leverente Beria. Yes.
1: Yeah. It sounds and, like, and it. go case, right ahead. Um,
5: in any case, uh, she saw a whole bunch of pills in my, on the desk, um, on a table when she walked into my apartment and she said to me, she looked at me with her big Georgian eyes, her big brown eyes and said to me, what are these? <laughs> now, was she suspecting
1: her her. that that was fentanyl or no?
7: She didn't know what they were, but it it, it didn't matter. Anything that's pill like like that, you 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 never take in the Soviet Union. You never tried. She said to me,
3: "Never trust them." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's funny, unbelievable. Yeah, listen, um, I, I believe you. When when you have somebody in charge of culture like they did in the uh, in the old Soviet Union, um, there's a lot of things they didn't know about. Kind of like when uh, they discovered Coca-Cola and Blue Jeans. It was like a huge festival in the streets. (laughs) So uh, great call, Robert. Thank you. I appreciate it. And there is um, a lot that I want to get to tomorrow. I'm going to bring you some updates from CPAC. Plus, we're going to do some interviews at CPAC that will air either on the podcast and on the radio if we have time. Uh, But I'll bring you that stuff tomorrow. And uh, let me see. Is there anything else? Oh, there's a few other things. But anyway. We will we will pause here until tomorrow. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. We'll do it again tomorrow from the nation's capital live for the Westwood One Studios. I am Rich Valdez and this was America at Night.
4: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me
3: more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale.
4: <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.